Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2015 Phoenix Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Hallelujah. Let's turn back over to Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to mention these verses and then we're going to move on this morning. But I've been trying to change the opinion that people have about God. Most people see God as a harsh, angry, demanding God that has a short fuse that gets ticked off. And there's lots of reasons for that, but part of that comes from the Old Testament law. The law, the way that it's been interpreted and applied by the church has given this impression that God is a very harsh, strict, angry God. And there are many examples. I could show you examples in the Word where an angel went out and killed 186,000 Syrians in one night, where God struck Miriam with leprosy, struck Uzziah with leprosy, where people picked up sticks on the Sabbath day and God said, kill them. And if you aren't careful, that will give you an impression about God that is inaccurate. I've been trying to show from Romans chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. The Lord was not imputing people's sins unto them until the law came. What this means is He wasn't recording or dealing with people according to their sins until the law was given. For 2,000 years, the Lord was merciful to people's sins. And I've used Abraham and David as examples and Isaac and, and Israel, Jacob, that they all would have been stoned to death if the law would have been in effect. And yet God not only used them, but loved them, called Abraham his friend. He let uh, Jacob, a man who was a surplanter, a liar, and had done all kinds of things, wrestle with an angel and he prevailed and he blessed him and changed his name. And he began to be the one that the nation of Israel was named after. These were people that weren't living holy. Their performance wasn't right, and yet God uh, extended uh, promise towards them, and by faith they reached out and received it, and God blessed them. David was a man who was a man after God's own heart, and yet he sinned greatly. And you see that God always was wanting to deal with us in mercy and grace, but people were taking God's lack of punishment as acceptance and even approval, and they got to where they were just living in sin. Sin was opening up a floodgate to the devil. Satan was destroying the human race. The, the length of man's lives were decreasing at a rapid rate, and things were getting so bad that if Jesus had, if God hadn't have done something, to limit sin and to put fear in people and to turn them away from sin. This sin was literally corrupting the human race so that there wouldn't have been a virgin left for Jesus to have been, uh, been born into this earth through. So God gave the law, not because it was his first thing, it was a temporary thing. And I'm just summing this up in Galatians chapter 3. It says that the law was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. It was like a schoolmaster, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. The law was only temporary. He waited 2,000 years to give it. It reigned for approximately 2,000 years. And since the time of Christ, the law should not even have been forced on the church. We shouldn't have been trying to relate to the Lord by the law. But people have misinterpreted this. Religion has actually embraced the law as something good that God gave us to help make us holier. The law wasn't given to make you holy. It wasn't given to help you. It was given to hurt you. It was given to knock you flat of your face so that you would quit thinking that somehow or another you had to earn God's favor and it would make you depend upon the grace of God instead of your performance. And if you understood this correctly, it would change your whole perspective. I used this example uh, yesterday that it's like a parent. You know, you don't want to spank your child. You don't want to hurt your child, but you don't want your child to be just running rampant and not be disciplined because I guarantee you the life will extract a price from them if you don't correct them. So even though you don't enjoy 
spanking your children. Spanking your children is actually a good thing to do if you do it in love. But there are some people that spank their children out of nothing but frustration and anger. They do it to vent their own anger. And of course, many people see that and that's not the right way. You don't ever spank your children because you are mad and you're wanting to punish them. You do it in love to benefit them. Well, see, in some sense, a lot of people see God as this parent that is just angry and you do something wrong and God's liable to let your child be born with some kind of a birth defect to punish you and stuff like this. And they see God as this angry God. No, the Lord gave the law and it was harsh, and, but it accomplished a purpose, but it was not his first choice and it was only temporary and it is not a true representation of what he's like. His... Uh, Jesus is the full manifestation of Jesus. And this is the reason that Jesus was constantly being accused by the religious system of breaking the law. He never broke the true intent of the law, but he constantly was showing grace towards people, whereas the law gave no grace. The law doesn't give you any mercy. There is no mercy. There is no grace in the law whatsoever. Its only purpose is to condemn and to beat you up. And Jesus came to love us. He took a woman taken in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8, and the law said, kill her. And Jesus turned around and gave mercy. He didn't approve of what she did. He didn't say it wasn't sin. As a matter of fact, when he, after everybody else left, he says, are, where are your accusers? And he says, has no man condemned you? And she said, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was sin what she did. He called it sin. He just didn't execute the judgment of the law. He executed mercy upon her. And he constantly was doing things like this. I could spend another hour or two showing you differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Jesus was ex extending mercy and grace towards people that the law condemned and gave no hope to at all. And this is the message that we should have been preaching for the last 2,000 years. And sad to say, the grace of God has been hidden and the law has been dominant in the church for the last 2,000 years. Let me show you some scriptures of what the Bible says about the law. Look over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Now I want you to think about this and I think I mentioned this the other day that very few people let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. They just believe something. This is what I've been taught my whole life and who cares? You know, I, I had a woman one time, I was painting her house. This is back when we lived in um, Childress, Texas. And I'd been trying to witness to her and talk to her. She was a uh, member of First Baptist Church. And anyway, towards the end of the week, she started saying, why did you ever leave the Baptist Church? We need good young men like you in the Baptist Church. And I said, well, it's not like I wanted to leave. They asked me to leave. They kicked me out. She says, why would they have kicked you out of the Baptist Church? And I said, because I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she says, are you talking about speaking in tongues? And I said, well, that's part of it. But I said, that's not all that there is to it. But I said, yeah, I speak in tongues. She says, well, they'd have kicked you out of my Baptist church too. And I, and I turned over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I believe it's verse 39. And I put my finger right on it and showed her. And I said, it says right here, forbid not to speak in tongues. And I said, what do you say about that? And she looked at me and she says, hey, there's lots of things in the Bible that we don't believe. <laughs> And when she said that, it's like, how do you talk to a person that just, I don't care what the Bible says, this is what we believe. Well, there's a lot of people that they don't care what the Bible says, this is what they believe. But if the Bible means anything, do you think about this? It says in the last phrase of this 56 verse, the strength of sin is the law. That is amazing. When I first read this, I thought this couldn't mean what it says. 
And I'm going to put this together with a bunch of other scriptures and I, hopefully you'll get the picture here that the law wasn't given to strengthen you and help you overcome sin. The law was given to help sin overcome you. Some of you, I know that this is so radical from what we think that you're going to have a hard time with this, but if the Bible has any Im impact on you, if you believe it, you're going to have to deal with this. This says that the law is the strength of sin. Why would God give something to strengthen sin instead of strengthen you? The reason is because sin had already beaten us and most of us didn't know it. We were making this mistake that I mentioned the other day about we compare ourselves among ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves. We are not wise. And we were doing a relative holiness and thinking I'm better than this person over here. I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. So that makes me better. And we were thinking we were okay. Well, the law had to remove that deception. And what the law did, it came in and said, thou shalt not and it actually strengthens sin. Some of the other verses I'll be getting to in just a moment will show you that it made lust and concupiscence come alive on the inside of you. I believe that this is because God didn't make us to be ruled by laws and rules and regulations. He made us to be free. There's something inside of every person that longs for freedom. When you are forced to do something, you lose all of your joy about it. You know, when uh, Jamie and I first got married, my job as a kid, I always washed the dishes and took out the trash. And that wasn't a big deal, but it was just something I had to do. And anyway, when I got married, Jamie didn't mean a thing by it, but she just came in and says, uh, you need to take out the trash. And all I could see was my mother. And it's not that I minded taking out the trash. It was the fact that, oh no, it's my job again. It was something I had to do. And you know what? I resented it, taking out the trash. And finally we talked about it. And so she now says, will you take out the trash? And that changes everything. I don't mind doing it if she says, will you do it? It's just, I don't want to be told I have to do it. There's something on the inside of me that just, you know, I don't like having to do stuff. I like living spontaneously and doing stuff. And you can ask my staff when they try and get me to figure out what I'm going to, I just, I do not like living by rules, laws, and regulations. It's just, it's just not in me. I believe that God created that to a degree inside of every person. And so when God says, thou shalt not, he knew us and he knew that there was something that was going to rise up on the inside of us and say, bless God, I shall. <laughs> the moment you tell somebody you cannot do this, they're going to do their best to try and do it. Even as little kids, I knew this. You know, I'd try and get somebody to do something. And I, you know, I remember one time trying to get this kid to walk across a log across a swollen creek. And I knew he was going to fall in. Everybody knew he was going to fall in if he did it. But I said, you know, walk across that log. No, I don't think I should. And I said, you can't do it. And the moment I said, you can't do it, I mean, he did it. And he fell in the creek. <laughs> but you know, you, you, you know, I dare you to do it. There's just something on the inside that when somebody says you can't do it, you start lusting for the very thing they say you can't do. So sin was already present on the inside of us, but people were thinking, I'm really a good person. I don't beat my wife anymore. I've turned over a new year's resolution. I'm doing better than I've ever done. And because of it, I think God's going to accept me. And so God had to bring us out of this deception and said, you think you're okay? Thou shalt not. And all of a sudden, something on the inside of us resisted this and we started lusting for the very thing that God told us we couldn't do. I was running a race one time. It was a 6.2 mile, 6 mile race, 10K race. And it was in Woodland Park, Colorado. And I had turned in a personal best already and I had just exhausted myself. I didn't have anything left. And I was about as far as from here to the back of this auditorium from the finish line. And a guy started passing me and I'm a competitor. 
Some of you may not know that about me, but Dwayne is shaking his head. <laughs> I am a competitor. I've never thrown a game of nothing in my life, amen. My dad told me second place is first loser. <laughs> so anyway, this guy started to pass me and I tried to keep up with him and I just didn't have anything left. And he got just a few strides in front of me and he looked back over his shoulder and he said, real sarcastic, he says, you could do better than that. And when he said that, I mean, it's just like the Incredible Hulk or something. I mean, I don't know where this came from, but a burst of energy came out of me and I passed that guy like he was in reverse. And I crossed that finish line way in front of him. And when I got there, I just literally collapsed. I don't know where that came from, but when somebody looks over their shoulder and says, you can't do this, something rises up, bless God, I will do it. And God knew that. And so here we were thinking, oh, I'm all right. Sin, you know, I'm a, such a good person. Everything's fine with me. God says, you think you're good? You don't realize that you can't save yourself. You need a savior. And it's, you got to bring people out of deception. And so the Lord gave the law. And when he gave the law, the law strengthened Sin, it strengthened your desire for sin. Again, this is counterintuitive. Many of you think, no, if you preach against adultery, you'll stop people from committing adultery. It's really just the opposite. Some people will respond to the law and not go do the things. I, my personal testimony that I shared with you, I was raised under such a fear of God. I didn't go do the things that a lot of my friends did, but I guarantee you, I lusted for the same things. Yeah, the law can't change your heart. It can't stop you from lust. Actually, it increased the lust for the things that are forbidden. It may stop you from committing it, but it doesn't change the situation at all. It is powerless to purge you of things. It's only the grace of God that can break the dominion of sin. The law can't break the dominion. It may stop you out of fear from doing the act, but you'll actually be consumed by the lust and the desire. And Jesus came along and said, if you even desire it in your heart, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. If you uh, hate a person, you're guilty of murder and on and on. And so the law can't do anything, but what it does, it makes sin come alive. Let me just read some of these other verses. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. That's real close here. And in verse 7 it says, But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? It's contrasting the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace and saying that the New Testament grace is infinitely superior. And then it makes that contrast again. In verse nine, it says, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And notice here in verse seven, it calls the law a ministration of death. In the New Testament, Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. The, but the law is called a ministration of death. The law was given to kill. It didn't make you alive. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help you overcome sin. It helps sin overcome you. It made sin come alive on the inside of you so that you could recognize, oh God, I need a savior. It's called administration of death in verse seven and administration of condemnation in verse nine. In, verse, in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not under the law. You are not under this ministration of condemnation. I've had some people say, well, the law, you're just talking about all of this and lumping it together. But there was the, like the 10 commandments and then there was the ceremonial law. And so there's the judicial law, the moral code, there's the ceremonial, and they break the law into different parts. And the reason they do that is to say that we still have to abide by the 10 commandments. We still have to live by the moral codes. We still do this. We're just free from the ceremonial law. We no longer observe the Feast of Tabernacles, the Passover. We no longer wear certain clothes. We no longer offer the blood sacrifices. 
and stuff, but we still got these codes over here. Look at this. It says, if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones. Let me ask you which part of the law was written and engraven in, in stones. The Ten Commandments is what this is talking about. This is talking about the Ten Commandments. I believe that you might be able to divide the law into sections for some purposes, but this is talking about the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral codes, the ceremonial stuff. It was given and it was a ministration of death. It didn't bring life, it brought death. It brought condemnation and we are not living under these things anymore. The law wasn't given to give you life. It was given to bring death to the surface. And somebody's thinking, why would God do that? Because death was there and you weren't aware of it. You needed to realize that you couldn't be right with God based on your own performance. He had to bring you to the end of yourself. You know, I heard a man one time make a illustration and say it was like an old bull laying in a pasture. And this bull was sitting there, you know, chewing its cud and thinking, I shouldn't be mean to people. I shouldn't charge people that walk through this pasture. I think I'm going to change. And so this bull starts sitting there chewing its cud and saying, from now on, I'm a sheep. I'm not a bull anymore. And you know what? It may have been right to recognize it shouldn't have been mean. It may have been right to recognize that it needed to change, but you can't change just by saying, I think I'm going to change. You have to be born a sheep. He was born a bull. And so if you got a bull thinking it's now a sheep, it's deceived. It's got to be brought out of deception. How do you bring that bull out of its deception? Just wave a red flag in front of it. And that bull nature rises up and charges. And you know what? Even though you may say, well, the effects of that was bad, it's good that you bring the bull out of deception. If it's going to become a sheep, it's got to be born again. Amen. And likewise, you may recognize that, you know, I need to change. And so I think I'm going to change from now on. I'm not a mean person. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. You can try and make New Year's resolutions and do all of these things, but you are born a sinner. And the only way you will ever overcome that sinful nature is to be born again and become a new person through the Lord Jesus. You can't do it through your good works through you making New Year's resolutions. You have to have the supernatural work of God. And so you got to be brought out of your deception. How do you bring a person out of deception that thinks, oh, I'm, I'm just awesome and I'm doing so good? Man, God gave a standard, not just one through 10, as Dwayne was calling them, the big 10. There are thousands of commandments. And I mean, they go down to the very most minute thing. Did you know that there are commands in the book of Leviticus about how to go to the bathroom? I'm not going to tell you what they are. But there were certain things you had to do when you went to the bathroom. I bet you every one of us in here have broken these commands. There are commands about what kind of garment you have to wear. You can't wear a garment that's part polyester and part cotton. You can't, if you're left-handed, did you know you are defiled, Dwayne? <laughs> if you got a flat nose, did you know that you broke the law? If you got a mole on your body, you have broken the law. And some of I've never known that. Well, yeah, this is the way that people that preach the law are. They're very selective. They preach on the cardinal sins, the big ones, and tell you to do this stuff. But I'm telling you, the law was so specific down to the point that if you were crooked back, if you had flat feet, you were defiled. Now, why did God say all of those things? Is it because he hates people with moles on their body? No, he doesn't want you to go get your moles burned off. But if you are going to trust in your perfection, if you think you're good enough, God just raised the standard of what he created Adam and Eve to be. He showed you that he made them absolutely perfect. There was zero imperfection. Zero imperfection. And if you are going to stand before God on your own merit, then you've got to be perfect. And if you weren't perfect, then you need a savior who was perfect for you. And the law is to show you your imperfections. That was the reason that the law was given. It ministered death. It ministered condemnation. You know, I heard a story about a man who died and went to heaven and, and Peter met him at the gate and said, you got to 
take this test and you got to make a hundred, you got to get a hundred points, not a hundred on the test, but you got to get a hundred points, answer these questions before you can get into heaven. And this guy said, should be no problem. Man, I've been serving God my whole life. And so he said, all right, what's the first question? He said, first question, did you attend church? And he pulled out his attendance pen and he said, I never missed church for 10 years. Here's my attendance pen. He says, great, that's worth one half of a point. <laughs> and the guy won half of a point. And the next question was, or were you faithful to your wife? And he said, oh, I was always faithful to my wife. I never cheated on her. I was a great husband. He says, that's worth one point. Then did you tie? Well, yeah, that was worth a quarter of a point. And by, anyway, after four or five questions, he was only up to two or three points. And he just said, my God, if this is the way you're grading me, he says, have mercy on me. And he says, come right on in, amen. <laughs> and see, that was the purpose of that test was to get him from trusting himself to saying, oh God, have mercy on me. That was the purpose of the law was to get you to where you quit depending upon your own holiness. And it showed you that you can never be right with God based on your own performance. The law wasn't given to encourage you and give you confidence. It was given to beat you up, tear you down, condemn you, kill you, strengthen sin. Look at this in Romans chapter three and in verse 19. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Boy, there's a lot in this verse. Let me just mention, it says, whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, implying not everybody's under the law. The law wasn't ever given to Gentiles. The law was only given to Jews. The law was given to God's people, to a select group of people to preserve the seed so that the Messiah should come. The Gentiles were never supposed to be under the law. The Gentile church should have never lived under this law mentality. Man, that's huge. I could preach on that for a day or two. But in the last part of this verse, notice it says that the reason the law was given is to stop your mouth and all the world may become guilty before God. What this is talking about is when somebody's done something wrong, they start coming up with these excuses. Well, the reason I did that, you don't understand. I was abused when I was a child. Uh, I had this done to me. It's in my genes. You don't understand. This is my mental disposition. And we've come up with a million and one excuses. The law stops excuses. The law does not give you a pass because you were abused when you were a child, because you were hurt. If you do something wrong, you are guilty. It doesn't matter why you did what you did. The law stops your mouth and makes you guilty before God. So the law is given to strengthen sin. It's given to condemn. It's given to kill. It's given to stop your mouth, take away your excuses and make you guilty. None of these things are things that you ought to want and encourage in your life. And yet the church has been pushing this on people as a positive thing. It's only positive if you are under the deception that somehow or another you're so good, God owes you salvation, that he owes you answering your prayer. You know, Dwayne was referring to some of these things last night about people fasting and praying and they think that because they've done this, now God is gonna remove, respond to them. They're gonna grab hold of the horns of the altar and shake it until God comes out. That is a totally ungodly concept, and yet this is what religion is preaching today. The law will stop that. The law will show you that it doesn't matter how holy you live, you are never gonna do so good that God owes you anything. That's the purpose of the law, is to take away your self-effort and your trust in yourself and lead you so that the only way you can look is up. In verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was not given for justification, making you right with God. The law was given to make you guilty and to amplify your sin and to magnify your sin. The law was given to give you a knowledge of sin. It'll never show you anything good It'll only show you the bad in your life. The law magnifies the tiniest little imperfection in you, but it will never give you a compliment. 
You could do 99 things right out of 100 and the law will show you the one thing that you did wrong. The law will show you the, the uh, area that you're still weak in. It'll never issue a compliment to you. You know, the condemnation, the guilt, the inferiority feeling, the feelings of failure and stuff like this, people struggle with this today and don't where it know where it comes from. Most of it comes from the law. There is a place for that, for the person who thinks that you're awesome and you've got to be brought out of your deception. But once you come out of that and once you put your faith in the Lord, you should now be relating to Jesus based on faith in what he's done and not yourself. And the law will never show you what Jesus has done for you. It'll only show you what you have failed to do for him. And people are living under guilt and condemnation unworthiness feelings because of the law. You shouldn't be under it. This is the purpose of the law. You know, I'm talking as fast as I can and I'm not making that much progress. In verse 21, it says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What a radical statement. Again, if you let the Bible get in the way of what you believe, this ought to do something to you. You can become righteous without the law, without keeping the rules, without performance matching up what the standards are. Boy, this is radical and a lot of people get really upset over this, but this is what it's saying. And it was saying it was also witnessed in the law and the prophets. In other words, the law prophesied the end of itself. Moses, the one who gave the law, he says, there's going to be another that God's going to raise up, a prophet like unto me, and him you will hear. And you will hear this word saying, you don't have to ascend into heaven. You don't have to go down to hell, but the word is nigh you, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Paul quoted that in Romans chapter uh, 10. And, and quoted from uh, Moses, and Moses prophesied that all of this was coming. The, this isn't contrary to the law. The law is not against grace. It just can't do what grace did. It shut us up unto the grace of God. It left us so that there was nowhere to look but up, and it actually led us to. It was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But once you come unto Christ, you cannot live by the law because it will just condemn you, show you your sin, make you guilty before God and do all of these things. It goes on to say in the next verse, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. There's a great message in that one. Not faith in Jesus Christ, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful truth unto all and upon all them which believe. For there is no difference for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that means atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood, not in your performance, but in his blood to declare his righteousness not your righteousness, but his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Did you know that saying that would get you kicked out of the vast majority of Christian churches today? To say that you are justified by faith in Jesus and not by the works of the law. There's people say, no, you've got to do this and this and this. And if you do this, God won't answer your prayers. Some people will preach that you can get saved and go to heaven by grace, putting faith in him. But if you want your prayers answered, if you're expecting to live in victory, you've got to do all of these things. God won't answer your prayer if you aren't studying the word and doing these kind of things. If you've got sin in your life, God won't answer you. And that's not what this is saying. Your relationship with God is independent of your performance and adherence to the law. Look over in chapter seven, Romans chapter seven. 
in verse five, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law. Now stop and think about this. The law gave motion to sin. It activated sin. This is consistent with the other things we read. It strengthened sin. It's administration of death. It's administration of condemnation. The law which uh, gave motion to sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Again, this is exactly 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. They calls it administration of death. The law produces death, not life, not freedom, not joy, not peace. But now we are delivered from the law. Let me ask you, what part of we are delivered from the law do we not understand? And yet, in the vast majority of churches, if I was to get up and say, we're delivered from the law, I guarantee you, I would be criticized. I'd be kicked out. I have been kicked out of churches. I've been kicked off television and radio stations for saying this. And yet, this is what the Word says. This is amazing. Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held. That's talking about our old man. The law is made for your old man. Once you, your old man's dead, you're delivered from the law. That's what the first few verses of that chapter says. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You are not supposed to relate to God based on keeping a mental list of have I done this, have I done this, have I done this, and then depending on how well you've performed, God is either going to accept you or reject you. Brothers and sisters, I, I hadn't got time to get off on this, but let me just say it real quickly, that it is not God who is ministering condemnation to you and making you feel that uh, He's displeased with you. It is your own conscience that is defiled by the law. You are ministering condemnation to yourself because you've embraced and try and live by the law. The whole time God loves you. God is passionate about you. God thinks you're awesome. And you can't walk with him unless you get agreed, unless you understand this. And some of you think, I just can't see how God could think I'm awesome. And it's because the law has focused your attention on sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And you are sin conscious. You are sin focused. You don't know who you are in the spirit. Dwayne mentioned all of this last night, but you're a brand new person in Christ. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. And God looks at you in the spirit. And in the spirit, you are as righteous and pure and holy as Jesus is. There is zero sin in your spirit. It's your flesh that has these problems. But God is a spirit and God is relating to you spirit to spirit. You're a brand new person and God just absolutely thinks you're awesome. He keeps a picture of you on his mantle. And yet many of you can't accept that because you under the law are sin conscious, focused on sin and thinking only about the sin in your life. But now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. I am not saying that the law is sin. The law isn't sin. The law is perfect. But what's wrong is I'm not. And when you give a perfect standard to an imperfect person, the only results can be condemnation and death and negative things. The law is perfect. And so for those who, you know, were thinking, oh God, I'm so good. I'm just awesome. God said, you think you're perfect. Let me show you perfect. Boy, he gives us this standard that condemns everybody. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is that the law was given to imperfect people. And so therefore it just condemns and kills us. I'm not saying that anything's wrong with the law at all. In verse eight, it says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment. Notice that the commandment gives an occasion to sin. Sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. The word concupiscence means uncontrolled or unrestrained lust. The moment you say thou shalt not, 
you start lusting for the very thing. It causes concupiscence, uncontrolled, unrestrained lust to come up. I had a preacher one time listening to a tape where I was teaching this very thing and he was just shocked by all of this. He was just reeling with it and he looked out his window and he had his son playing in the backyard with a bunch of friends. And so he walked to the back door. He called all of these kids to the back door and he says, y'all have been just great. They've been out there for an hour or something. And he says, you're doing just fine. But whatever you do, thou shalt not, and he pointed to this flower and says, thou shalt not spit on this flower. And then he went back into his study and looked out this window and he said, half of those kids walked right over and spit on that flower. And the other kids were sitting there with their mouth just salivating, wishing that they had enough nerve to spit on this flower. And he said, for an hour, they didn't even know that that flower exists until somebody said, thou shalt not spit on this flower. And every one of them immediately started lusting for what they were commanded not to do. That's what the law does. The law doesn't break the dominion of sin. The law strengthens sin. The law breaks you. If you go to preaching against adultery in your church and saying, God's angry, God's wrath is gonna come on you and you go to preaching against adultery. Now there's a place to mention that it's not good and that it's an inroad of Satan and it'll enslave you and stuff. And, but I'm saying if you go to using the law and condemning people with fear of punishment, you will have a rash of adultery happen in your church. And some people think, oh, that's not so. Go talk to some of the preachers in here. And I guarantee you, you go, to, you go to saying thou shalt not and you will cause lust for the very thing that you are preaching against. Some of you may not agree with that. You're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not gonna agree with you or we'd both be wrong. <laughs> Praise God. And then he says um, in, back in verse Eight, but sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Without the law, sin is dead. Wow, what a statement. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sin revives by the law. You preach law and it'll make people lust for sin and it'll kill you. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found unto death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That is the purpose of the law, is to make sin become exceeding sinful, to where you hate it, to where you realize how deadly it is. The purpose of the law is to magnify sin, not to magnify the answer, the antidote to sin but to magnify sin, to magnify your failure, to magnify that you are doomed, that you have no recourse except to throw yourself on God and ask for mercy. And let me just end with these verses over in Galatians chapter three. Real quickly, I've referred to this a couple of times. In Galatians chapter three, It says in verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. It says in verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed, singular, where the promise is made, he said not and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. So put that in down here in verse 19. It was ordained, it, it was um, added because of transgressions till the seed should come. That's talking about Jesus. It was only until Jesus. And then it goes on to say in verse um, 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up 
unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The law was our schoolmaster. Now that Christ has come, we are no longer under the law. You should not be having this constant, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you came short, God's upset, God's angry. And yet this is just dominant in the body of Christ today. You'll hear people talking about how God is judging America for doing all of these things. God has already judged Jesus. Now I'm going to try and bring all of this together tonight. Somebody might be listening to this and saying, so man, we're just free from the law. I mean, we can just do anything. As far as God's concerned, God deals with you based on Jesus. And if you have accepted Jesus and made him your Lord, then God sees you righteous through Jesus. And whether you go out and live in sin or not is not going to affect God's attitude towards you. That's a radical statement. And again, that gets me kicked out of all kinds of churches and stuff. But God is not dealing with you based on sin. If you live in sin, he's not going to love you less. And if you live holy, he's not going to love you more. But does this mean that you can just go live in sin? Well, it means that it's not going to affect how God views you. But sin is still an inroad of Satan into your life. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield to sin, you have just opened up a door to the devil. And Satan is going to come in and eat your lunch and pop the bag. <laughs> And you know what? You don't want that. And so quit living in sin. You know, if you never go to church again, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. We are supposed to be with other believers. We need other believers. Even if we don't agree perfectly with them, we need brothers and sisters. You need a family. They rub off your rough edges. They help you. You need a body of believers. It's sin. You're missing what God said if you don't go to church. Thank you for that one good, and that's right. <laughs> you need to go to church. But did you know if you never go to church again, God would love you just exactly the same. He's not going to be mad at you. God's not going to reject you and not answer your prayer because you don't go to church. If you don't go to church, you aren't going to receive the benefit of the other brothers and sisters. You aren't going to have the community. When something happens to you, you'll be out there without anybody to support you and stuff. You need to go to church for you. It's good for you. It helps you. If you don't go to church, you're stupid. <laughs> but what I'm saying is God loves you, stupid. God loves you just the same as he ever did. He doesn't change in his attitude towards you, but you are hurting yourself by not going to church. If you never study the Word, God's going to love you the same, but you won't love God the same because the Word of God won't build your faith and won't reveal things to you. God's going to love you infinitely more than you could ever imagine, but you won't realize it if you don't study the Word and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. If you go out and live in sin and stuff, God loves you. It doesn't matter if you're living in sexual sin. God still loves you. But you're opening yourself up to all types of perversion, sexually transmitted diseases. It says 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he that's joined unto a harlot becomes one flesh with her. That's verse 16, I think. One flesh. And you know what? You are just partaking of every evil, vile thing inside of that person and you are just mainlining it into you and you're doing all kinds of damage to yourself. You're opening yourself up to things. It's just stupid. But God loves you, stupid, the whole time you're out living like this. We still live holy, but not in order to obtain God's love, but out of gratitude for God's love. We live holy because it's my nature to live holy. Instead of it being something that's outside, that's forced on me, that physically restrains me and makes me not do certain things, now it's the love of Christ that constrains me to live a certain way. 
I commit all the adultery I want to commit. I just don't want to commit it because God has changed my heart. Man, I lie and steal all I want to lie and steal. I, but I've learned out that that's not good. It's not a good way to live. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. God has changed my heart. And I am not living by a set of rules and regulations that are, that are causing all kinds of death and condemnation on the inside of me. I'm living out of a relationship with a living God. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we have hindered our own relationship with God through the law. The law wasn't given to give life. It was given to kill and condemn. And you need to crawl out from under the law. Amen? Praise God. I got to quit. Father, we love you and we thank you for the freedom from the law. Thank you that Jesus redeemed them that were under the law. Thank you, Father, that we are now coming out from under. For those of us who've embraced this, who've been taught that this is the right way to relate to you, I'm asking that you'd take the things that we've shared this morning and you would use it to set people free. And Father, we would begin to relate to you out of love and not out of fear of punishment from the law. And I thank you. I believe that you're going to use these scriptures and these things that were said and that this is going to make a difference in our relationship with you that we'll come to understand how good you are. And we agree and receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.